You're listening to Fresh Look with Hen Mazig, presented by the Israel on Campus Coalition. Welcome back to Fresh Look. This week's episode features a unique conversation with a non-binary digital activist and content creator of Iranian Jewish descent, Matthew Norio. In recent years, Matthew has been using their voice to passionately advocate and fight for the causes they believe in, namely LGBTQ plus rights and equality within the Iranian and Jewish communities and combating anti-Semitism. Using their social media as a means to reach those who relate to their perspective and lived experiences, as well as engaging audiences on panel discussions and speaking engagements across the country. They have taken on leadership roles with both queer and non-queer organizations such as JDC and Twine, JQ International, Tel Aviv Institute, and most recently joined the team at Chumena, Jews indigenous to the Middle East and North Africa. In 2021, they were the recipient of the Trailblazer Award at the JQ International Annual Impact Awards. Welcome to the show, Matthew. I am so excited about this um, special guest that we have today that has been such an inspiration to me and someone that I really love so dearly. And I feel um, I'm so proud to to have them as part of our community. Um, Matthew, and as some people know, uh, the Empress Mizrahi. How are you today? Hi, Khan. Thank you for the lovely, sweet, kind introduction. Know that I feel exactly the same way about you. And um, I'm doing well today. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. You're joining us from Los Angeles, right? Correct. Yeah. So before we start, maybe you maybe you should start and tell us a bit about your story. What got you to doing the work that you're doing today? What is the work that you're doing today as well? Um, well should I start from the beginning? No, we don't want to do that. <laughs> okay. I was born in London, England in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who am I? And what is the work that I'm doing? Uh, well, Matthew Nuriel, Iranian British-born Iranian uh, Jew, queer, very queer, very Iranian, very Jewish, all of the above. And um, I work in the sphere of digital advocacy and as um, a nonprofit professional for the organization Jimena, which stands for Jews Indigenous to the Middle East and North Africa. Um, and my goal, and certainly in terms of my social media advocacy, is to uh, well, let me back up. I, I I felt it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with my intersecting identities, that is being queer, Jewish, and Iranian. I always felt throughout my life um, that I would sort of have to appease one side, one, one part of my identity for the other, or, you know, if I'm in a Jewish environment, I have to downplay my queerness, or if I'm, you know, in an Iranian environment to downplay my Jewishness, or any, you know, in a queer environment, I would have to downplay my Jewishness sometimes, and it became very frustrating to me. So um, I sort of made the decision a few years ago um, that I'm going to choose to be as unabashedly visible in my um, identities as I can be, um, because if I felt the way that I felt, surely there were other people who did. Um, so the advocacy that I do through social media and through public speaking engagements is centered around that. It's centered around um, sort of the unification of being queer, Jewish, and Iranian, and not compromising any one part of it, uh, part of myself for anyone. So. Oh, yeah, that, there's definitely one person that can relate to to some of it, and and it's um, myself. Um, 
I think that those, you know, the intersection of your identities is so beautiful and just embracing it is, um, I think really shines not only not only for me, but a lot of people uh, online. So let's break it apart and we'll start with your Iranian identity, your Mizrahi identity. It's Mizrahi Heritage Month as well. Happy Mizrahi Heritage Month. Thank um, you. So, yeah. So, yeah. So maybe you can share with the viewers um, how your Mizrahi background um, has um, affected the work that you're doing today. I mean, it, it affects it affects the work that I do greatly because, um, it, like I said, I always find myself running from one part of my identity or the other. And the conclusion that I came to is that you can never run away from who you are. So once I stopped running away from who I was, whether it be my queerness or my Persianness, Mizrahiness or Jewishness, I started to lean into all facets. And there's something very empowering about that. So I started to really in terms of being Mizrahi, really educate myself on what it was. Like, why did I feel othered for being Mizrahi within certain spaces? And what is it that people maybe look down on? Or what is it that people maybe celebrate about being Mizrahi? What does it truly mean to me to be a Mizrahi Jew? And more specifically, to be Persian, a Persian Jew. Um, so not running away from that kind of made all the pieces kind of make sense because it's within every part of the, the fiber of my being. Um, so I, I hope that kind of answers your question. Um, do you want to hear like about the history of? I mean, I I would also love to hear about the challenges. I mean, you're you're saying that it wasn't always easy. What do you mean by that? No, it's it's been very difficult. Um, Iranian culture specifically when i speak about iranian culture first of all i want to be clear that i'm speaking through my lens which is that of a, a jewish iranian person because that's the community that i i grew up in um and it's a it's tradition it's a very traditional um society and community and the, it has very rigid gender roles for one um, it's very con it's a very conservative community and things are changing now certainly in los angeles but um, that's not easy for somebody like me who was very queer from jump, like from as long as I can remember, and I'm sure as long as anybody can remember, I was very queer and that didn't sort of fit in well with the ideal, these sort of ideals that are, are placed on us uh, within Persian Jewish uh, society. Um, I want to be careful not to say anything sort of wrong and I mean there is nothing wrong to say the truth of the matter is that it was just difficult for me I mean I, I'd experienced a lot um certainly as a teenager once I came out um once I started dabbling in drag which I started doing as a teenager and then stopped because it it created such a problem for the my family um what, you know what problems well, I mean, I came out at 15 and then I discovered drag by the time I was 16 and I, I really fell in love with it. Like it was just mind blowing to me that, and it's because of RuPaul. I mean, it, it was the nineties and RuPaul came out and I was just completely, my mind was blown. Like I'd never seen anything like that. Like RuPaul was so not only like fearless in presenting themselves as who they are and and how they wanted to present themselves but doing it with so much joy 
which is something I grapple with. I'm not like this joyous, happy, bubbly person, but it, nonetheless, it was mind blowing to me. And I was like, that's what I want to do. That's, that's, that's who I am. Like, that's what I want to delve into. And I started to do it. Um, but it, it created a lot of problems within my family because being Iranian, first of all, there's this concept in Iranian culture called Aberu. Aberu, it loosely translates to reputation, but it's so much more than reputation because it's not only like based on you. It's it's like what you do has a direct effect on your parents, which has a direct effect on your siblings and then your cousins, your extended family, and then the greater community. And it's a lot of pressure. And, th and this concept is like paramount in, in, in uh, Persian society. And it's a very, <clears throat> it can be very, uh, traumatizing because as a teenager, it was like a lot of pressure. Like now I have to like do all these things or fall in line with all these things that are so um, the antithesis of who I am. Like it was so far from who I am. So how do you sit on top of that? How do you sort of hide who you are in order to fit this, this societal ideal that's been set out for you? And I couldn't do it. I tried, I just couldn't do it. Um, you know, I was put in therapy from the age of six to 11, three times a week. Um, and I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm blaming my parents for anything. I'm not blaming them. They didn't know any better. I mean, you have to understand they were, they came to, they went to the UK from Iran and then they had me a year later. And then it just culturally nothing I'm sure made sense to them. And they didn't understand or know or have the tools. Um, you know, it's not like today where we have language and tools that we have now, they didn't have it then. So they put me in therapy. And then once I came out when I was a teenager, it was therapy again, and it was medication. And it was, um, I was taken to a doctor who said that they could cure my gayness by uh, um, giving me testosterone therapy. So I went on a round of testosterone for three months. And all of this was like, it was very traumatizing. And now I'm not saying it's only Jewish Iranian people that have exposed their queer kids to something like this um, it certainly wasn't but that was my experience and it certainly felt like um it, it it created a lot of rage within me towards the iranian community and the jewish community and specifically iranian jews um so that's why when i say it, it you know it was just a few years ago that i was like enough is enough like i need to come to terms with who i am and as much pain as the as these societal standards had caused me i'm still part of that society and i'm still part of that community so instead of running away from it i chose to lean into it and to stand up for myself and say this is who i am and there are others like me and there's nothing you can do about it we're here we exist we matter um, and I'm not going anywhere. So what now, you know? Yeah, deal with that. Deal um, with it. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's beautiful. And I think, you know, everything you're talking about is so important, specifically with the recent shooting in Club Q in Colorado Springs. And to know that the LGBTQ community around the world is still not completely safe and uh, or, or the games in Qatar where they're banning um, LGBTQ folks and and um, any LGBTQ um, identification. Um, what do you make of the situation in Iran for the LGBTQ community? I mean, I've been talking about this for years and um, the, the situation in Iran for LGBTQ plus people is dire. I mean, it's literally life or death. 
um, right before everything happened with Masa Amini, maybe two weeks prior, um, two LGBTQ plus activists were handed a death a sentence of a, a death sentence, and they're sitting on death row right now, um, along with so many others. I mean, it's estimated since um, the Islamic Republic regime took over Iran in 1979, it's estimated that between 4,000 and 6,000 LGBTQ plus people have been executed. Um, so it's dire, and um, it. You know, I personally have spoken to many uh, queer young queer young people from Iran who've reached out to me on Instagram over the years, and um, it's heartbreaking knowing that it, I feel so helpless in the situation. Like, what can I do? Like, what can I do? And when you're talking to somebody one on one, and they're, you know, sort of spilling their guts to you because they have no other outlet. Um, you feel helpless and all I can do is sort of try and reassure them and be a friend to them and a shoulder to cry on or somebody just somebody even just to talk to I mean you'd be surprised how many people just wanted to know how I did drag makeup you know so it's it's a tough line to walk because it, you know somebody in the US or in the West or who lives in a free society I can say you know everybody do you you know there's resources but they don't have that in Iran they don't have an LGBTQ plus center or uh, you know therapy resources for therapy um, you know or government funded resources or nonprofits that are geared towards helping queer people they don't have it so what do you tell somebody you know it's it's really hard um, so the situation is dire and and you know the the current uprising that's happening in, in Iran it's so important for us to keep putting it out there. Um, yes, it's it's a it's a woman-led revolution, which is incredible because women's rights is is a huge problem in Iran. You know, legally speaking, women women are, are the the worth of a woman is fifty percent of that of a man. Um, this is legally speaking. I mean, this is like constitutionally speaking in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Right, a Jewish person is constitutionally considered to be have the a third of the worth of a Muslim person, Jewish and other religious minorities, the ones who are even allowed to exist, and queer people aren't even on that scale. They have no worth. Um, it, it, you know, it's just it, it's awful and it's dire and and when when people are. I always say when people are chanting in protests, you know, woman life freedom, the freedom part of it isn't, it does, we're, we're not saying freedom for Iran for some Iranians. We're saying freedom for Iran for all Iranians and LGBTQ plus Iranians exist. So when we're saying free Iran, freedom for Iran, woman life freedom, that freedom applies to everybody. It's for everybody. And I, and I really wanna drive that message home to, um, a lot of people within the the Iranian community, you know. So. Mm, yeah, you're you're absolutely doing it with your social media activism and on Instagram. I think all of this comes through, and it's such an important issue to fight for. And what do you what do you think? Where do you think the protests are going? What's what's next for Iran? You know, it's really really hard to say. Um, it doesn't look like the protests are going to slow down anytime soon. I don't think that they are. But every day something new is coming out, like just this past weekend, the crackdowns were vicious and mostly affecting 
uh, Kurdish provinces within Iran. They were absolutely vicious, but from what I'm seeing, it's not stopping anybody. And I, don't, I think that that's something that we haven't seen since the 1979 revolution. It is, it, it, it's not quite at that level yet, but I don't think the protests, I don't think the uprising is gonna stop. And I don't know, it, it's really hard to say, like I say, like some, it's gonna change, the, the regime is gonna fall. It's going to happen, it's not sustainable. When that's going to happen is really hard to say. It could happen within a month. It could happen within a decade. We don't exactly know. Um, but I think that that's, regardless of when it happens, that's the direction it's going in and it's not going to stop. Um, and I'm, I, I want to add to that that I'm completely floored and enamored and, and it, it just obsessed and in love with the Iranian people and the, the show of strength that they're, they're um, presenting right now is unbelievable. Like, it's just incredible. I don't know how many of us would be able to be, you know, knowingly go to a protest, knowing that it could mean your life or knowing that you could get arrested or get shot in the head or blinded or all of these awful things that are happening and going anyway, because you, you are fighting for your freedom. And I think that that's a result of 43 years of being held in a chokehold by a government that doesn't value its people at all. Um, they've had enough, they're not scared anymore. Like what more can you, I think they're saying, what more can you take away from us? You wanna take my life? Well, I, re I already don't feel like I have one and they're willing to die for their freedom. That's the most admirable thing in the world to me. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I was really moved by some of the support that the Iranian people received around the world. But it seems like when people talk about Israel and the conflict, um, the Arab-Israeli conflict with the Palestinians, um, there's so much more mobilization, and it is important to stand up for every injustice, of course. But we haven't seen, uh, at least from what. Uh, I've been following uh, around the world, uh, the levels of support that the Palestinians are usually receiving. Um, what do you, why do you think it's, uh, what's the reason for, for this? I think that the uh, pro-Palestinian propaganda machine has been working since the 1960s, if not before. And I think that that relentless sort of misconstruing of the truth and repositioning oneself as a victim has been at work for I think two or three generations now so what we're seeing now is the results of that essentially PR campaign mm -hmm. where the truth has been completely eradicated at this point and replaced with these concepts and theories and ideas that are not entirely true and that can be very powerful because now the 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 current generation of of young palestinians um within palestinian territories believe it and when you believe something you can really stand behind it and so when you're seeing this fight that they're putting out it's it's very compelling um unfortunately there's there's a whole other side to that that's not being presented and when it is presented it's shut down um so i i mean i don't know i can only speculate that that's part of what it is um 
I think also maybe it has something to do with the fact that many Iranian people in, di in diaspora have done really well for themselves. So I, I think when, and I think Jewish people can sort of relate to this to, to a degree, not a degree, like Jewish, it's the same thing with Jewish people in a sense, um, even more so because we managed to regain sovereignty in our homeland. Um, nobody like, no, nobody like, you know, it's like punching up, like nobody really care, people don't care as much, like they need to see you suffering in a way. I don't know, I hope I'm making sense. Like, they, it's really easy for people to come, walk through Los Angeles and go look at all these Persians driving nice cars or whatever, and they don't wanna sort of think about what it took for a community of people, which is a gross, like a gross generalization, first of all, not all Persians drive nice cars and have money, but it's really easy to sort of look at that and say, well, what's the problem? You know, they can just leave. And I've heard people say that too. Well, why don't they just leave? You know, um, they say it about Jews in, in Iran all the time. I hear it all the time. Well, there's only 8,000 left. Why don't they just leave? Well, it's not that easy to just leave. You can't just leave. You had any idea how hard it is. I mean, back to the LGBTQ uh, issue, like Iran, they say, well, why don't they just leave? You know how many of them are stuck in Turkey? Like they get to Turkey and they're, there's somebody who I'm talking to for the last three years. He's stuck in Turkey. He's been there for eight years. He can't work. They, they treat you like shit. And um, you just have to kind of wait until you can get asylum in another country. So it's not easy to just leave. I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, that the other piece that is missing with some of the um, protests and the attacks on um, on Israelis, on, on Jewish people in the West, um, it, when it comes to the conflict is, of course, anti-Semitism. And you know a lot about that. You spoke at the West Hollywood uh, City, City Council meeting in uh, in September in support of the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. Uh, and after that, uh, while you were heckled, you kept speaking and you actually got, I mean, I'm sure there were other elements, but definitely your speech got the council to vote to adopt uh, IRA. So what was your uh, strategy or successful strategy? What did you speak about and how did it felt? Like, walk us through it. That specific incident or just, yeah. So um, the organization stand with us. So I know somebody that works there and, and she reached out to me and said, there's this, this city council meeting and they want to adop adopt the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. And from what we understand, like all of these college campus, anti-Israel college campus groups are going to be showing up and we need to show up as well. <clears throat> and that's all you need to tell me. Like, you don't even need to go that far. Like I'm there, you know? So, and it's, it's, I live in the city of West Hollywood. So it meant something to me even, even more so. Um, and I showed up and first of all, I want to say that I, I was somewhat disappointed in our Jewish community, more of us need to show up. There was probably two or three times more uh, people there who were there to oppose adopting the IRA definition than there was us. So that was first of all, but I thought, okay, well, we're still gonna, we're gonna do this and I'm gonna talk. And I, I noticed when people were talking that they had a very clear strategy, which was as soon as the beeper went off, even if you were like a millisecond over your speaking time, they started to um, heckle and and say, t they started screaming time. Um, so it was scared. I mean, I, I was scared. It was scary. Um, and I just thought, okay, well, you're just going to get up there and you're going to say you prepared this thing that you're going to wrote, wrote and you, you prepared this thing that you wrote and you're not going to let 
people get in the way. You know, you're not going to let your fears get in your way. You're going to get up there and you're going to do this and you're going to say what you have to say because I had something to say. And so I said it and I gave the speech and, um, you know, I, and a lot of, a, a number of people got up and spoke and they unanimously voted to adopt the IRA definition despite um, all of the people that were there um, opposing it. And here's why. Anybody with with sort of any sense of logic can see what the, what the people that were opposed to the, the IRA definition were uh, arguing really didn't match with what the IRA definition is, right? There's nothing in the IRA definition that says you can't criticize Israel or you can't criticize the Israeli government. I think when some examples are listed, one of them involves Israel, and that's what people are sort of grabbing onto, saying, oh, if you take on this definition, then you can't criticize Israel. Well, that's not true. The criticism that's used as an example, which I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's based on uh, um, misinformation. So when you're spreading misinformation about Israel, that's when it becomes problematic. When you're spreading misinformation about the only Jewish state, um, that's when it becomes problematic. So, you know, it, it was scary, but I went ahead and did it. They passed the, the, the thing. And, and one of the council members who I actually know at the end, who is a queer Iranian Muslim woman or, who told them, because the minute they announced that they passed it, like they went crazy and they all got up and started booing and screaming and saying city of West Hollywood is Islamophobic and uh, all of this craziness. And she said very plainly, this was a definition that was created by Jewish people for Jewish people, for them to protect themselves. If you have a problem, I urge all of you to put it in writing and present it to us and we will present it to you know the council meeting just like we did for this and we will present a resolution but none of them are interested in doing that they were interested in kicking screaming and shouting and saying all this ridiculous stuff so as what i see so much of was sort of put on full display there which is if you actually care about palestinian rights do something about it that doesn't involve creating more conflict because Israel isn't going anywhere. It's just not. We fought too hard for it. We fought for years for it. We waited for 2000 years for it. We finally got it. It's not going anywhere. And anybody can say whatever they want about the IDF. The IDF is as strong and as powerful as they are because they have to be. And as long as we have them, our country is protected. So. It is what it is, you know, I mean, there's so I just get so infuriated about it because there's so much that people can actually do. And I'm going to throw this in as well, this whole concept of pinkwashing that everybody's so up in arms about. I did not see one single anti-Israel activist stand up when a Palestinian gay person was kidnapped and taken into Palestinian territory just a month or two ago, beheaded. He was beheaded. Nobody said a thing. This poor guy's life was ended. Like, if you really care about queer Palestinians, what are you going to do? What are you doing about that? Like, that's what I want to know. And I'll tell you something. If, if there is a movement that is there to protect queer Palestinians without having to sort of delegitimize Israel or delegitimize the, the, the uh, queer movement in, in Israel, which is 
might not be perfect, but it's leaps and bounds far ahead of anywhere else in that region, I'd be the first to join that movement, hand in hand. So I'll be I'll be with you marching as well. Amen. Um, this Amen. is this was so profound, so much information to um and ideas that I, I am can fully get behind and I'm sure many people can as well. Um, before we finish, I want to ask you, Matthew, your, we spoke about so many different parts of your identity, so many layers of your identity. I love that you just embrace all of them fully and that you're not, you know, I, people often say like, oh, are you 50% that and 50% that? No, you you can be hundred percent everything that you are. Um, but how do you, how do you do that? Like, how do you, take all of this and all the all the different parts of who you are and bring them together and what is your advice for our listeners that might be struggling with with those identities or or similar identities i think the power of community should not be underestimated and i think that it's what worked for me was really first of all i mean it's been a few years now that i that i know of you and we've i've been lucky enough to be able to get to a place where i can call you friend and somebody like you really, you really inspired me, not somebody like you, you really inspired me because you were an example of what it is to be a Mizrahi Jew who is also queer and who is open about it and comfortable with it and um, visible about it. Um, so there was you, there's my friend Arya, there's the organization JQ International, Jewish Queer International, it's an LA-based Jewish queer organization that did Persian-specific programming. <clears throat> It's sort of seeking out these communities and individuals that speak to you and who you are. That's that's what the the most important thing I think, um, and that's a big reason why I do what I do is because I also want to be visible in myself. So that, that that's the whole point. I think that's first and foremost super important because then it takes away the the feeling of being alone in who you are. And the other thing is just sort of constantly delving into yourself. I feel like that sounds narcissistic, but kind of like keep learning about yourself, like whether it be through therapy or through meditation or whatever it is. Like for me, it was therapy. Um, keep learning about yourself, who you are and empowering yourself in who you are. So, you know, oh, I'm gay. I need to hide it. Instead of going to, I need to hide it, go into, well, what does it mean to be gay? What does it mean to um, be a queer person? Are there other people who are gay within my community? Let me find them and let me figure out how I can find pride in that. That's that's so important. I guess it's easier said than done and it can take a lifetime, but it, it just is what it is. The other option is to hide who you are and that does not work for anybody. So. Um, yeah, just keep seeking out community, keep seeking out people who are on the same wavelength as you and who you admire and look and look up to and befriend them or talk to them or just follow them, whatever it is, you know. I hope that's good advice. I think that's pretty good advice. <laughs> I think it's excellent. I think it's amazing. Um, Matthew, thank you so much for everything you're doing, for the light that you shine and for being such an inspiration. You say that I inspire you, but I, I mean, it's amazing how the tables have turned and I look up to you so much now. Um, thank you. It's, uh, it's yeah. I'm honored to be your friend and I'm honored to be part of your community and yashar um, koach, upward and, uh, and onward. Upward and onward. The honor is mine, my friend. Thank you. 
So, so heartwarming. Thank you for having me on. This is wonderful. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Fresh Look. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channels. We'll see you next time.